Whew, there's nothing like right before you're getting up to speak to check down and see that your mic battery is dead. Whew. So I run upstairs and says, is this the last song, Pete? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> My. Whew, how are you? <laughs> well, all right. I was sitting in my office this week. Um, uh, I told the earlier services this today. I'll, I'll tell you, I was sitting in the office this week, and I got to looking at some of the stuff that people have given me. If you're a pastor long enough, they give you stuff on your birthdays and whatnot. Just most of the time, it's funny stuff to kind of get at you. And so, but they know I'm a UK fan, and so I'm always getting UK stuff. And a couple of times, I got some really cool stuff. I got one of those. Anybody remember the Anthony Davis posters with the 10 basketballs? I got one signed by Anthony Davis, which is a pretty cool deal, uh, framed uh, at my house and uh, cool stuff. Had another person give me a Tubby Smith basketball, which was pretty signed by Tubby. I have an Adolph Rupp uh, knife that he signed, and I don't know if it was a stamp or actually signed. They said he signed it, but either way, it's a pretty cool thing that they gave me because I'm a big, big blue fan, and for those of y'all who are big blue football fans like I am, oh my goodness, what a night. Last night, I was going to ride the goalpost down, and I went moping all the way home. I was so sad. But uh, anyhow, uh, I, I'm also a golfer, and I like to golf. And a few years ago, one of my members at the church gave me one of these things for my office. And I'm not an art person at all. Uh, do y'all hear that, guys? I got a little bit of... Do y'all hear that feedback, or is it just me? We got it back here? Some... Okay, maybe just me. I got it. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, but they gave me this art thing. And uh, I'll put it up here on the screen so you can see it. Uh, I, I'm not an artsy kind of guy. I'm a mathematical, logical kind of guy. And, you know, it's just not my deal. But I thought it was kind of cool, and it's just kind of a metal-like thing, crafted, kind of unusual. And I didn't think much about it until the next year, this same person gave me another one for my birthday. And this was the one they gave me, and all of a sudden I put them as bookends on top of my, uh, one of my bookshelves, and I started thinking, I know why they gave me this now. You're the golfer with the big heart. And I thought, aww. You know, I thought that was really nice of them to give me something like that. But then the next year they gave me another one, and I set it up for a couple days, and all of a sudden I saw the theme. He's still got the big heart, but then I realized that he's the golfer with no brain. <laughs> And so, I don't know why that offended me, but I guess it's better to have no brain and a big heart. Uh, but tonight, we're going to pick up the story of a guy whose heart was in the wrong place. We're going to finish the story of Jonah tonight. It seems like forever since I preached the story of Jonah to y'all guys. I think I did the first two chapters uh, about a month ago, and uh, we're going to wrap it up tonight. Um, it, it's strange when we read the book of Jonah how much we're like him. I mean, we are so much like Jonah in so many ways. And, and tonight, in chapter 3 and 4, we're going to see the story take a really strange twist. And here's what's unusual. Most of you have heard the story of Jonah all your life. What happens to Jonah? Whale, fish, bad stuff. Seaweed, all that kind of stuff. All right, vomited out on the land. We know that part of the story of Jonah, but this part of the story of Jonah we don't read very much, and yet this is the part of Jonah that we're the most like. Uh, so... So let me give a recap for those of you who have not uh, been here during this time. The first thing I want you to know is God called Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. Uh, the Ninevites were 
evil, evil people. I mean, they were. They were about as bad as you can possibly be. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about what they would do to the people that they captured. I mean, heinous, skin them alive, stakes through their tongue, skulls and pyramids in front of them. I mean, nasty, nasty, awful stuff. And, and Jonah is told to go preach to them. And Jonah says, oh, not me. Uh, so Jonah says, I, I don't want any part of that. And so in a series of events that we won't recall, Jonah running from the Lord gets thrown overboard of a fish that's traveling the opposite way from Nineveh. And he is swallowed by a big fish. And so God has prepared this fish to swallow Jonah. And in the midst of a belly of a fish, Jonah does what you always do when you're in the middle of a belly of a fish. You pray. And so Jonah prays to God. And, and God hears his prayer, and the fish throws Jonah up. I mean, I don't know a better way to say that, but the fish just spits Jonah up. And, and, and once again, God calls Jonah to go back and preach to the Ninevites. And this is where we pick up with our text today in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Uh, that, that's important for us. We're going to learn three lessons tonight, and here's the first one. The first lesson is that the word of the Lord comes again. Uh, the word uh, in the Hebrew there is the word shanae, which means second chance. The word of the Lord shanae's Jonah, gives him a second chance. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I have a God who is a God of shanae. If he was a one-time God, I would have struck out quickly. You know, if he was just a, a three strikes and you're out God, I'd have been done early on. But I praise God that he is a, a God of Shanae. Every morning when you wake up, he is a God of second chance. And I hope you recognize the importance of that because it's so easy for us to think that God's in heaven with lightning bolts waiting for us to mesh up, hoping that we do so so he can go, <laughs> I told you. You know, God's not like that at all. God is wanting you to win. God wants you to succeed. He is a God of Shanae, a God of Second chances. Now, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people that I wouldn't give a second chance to. Any of y'all like that? There's somebody in your life that's hurt you really bad, and you're not going to give that second chance to them, but that's not the way God is. He is a God of second chances. And he comes to Jonah this second time, and, and I can't tell you how many times he's come to me through the years. I mean, can any of y'all identify that God has given you more than one chance in your life? I mean, aren't you grateful uh, that he has? You know, there's some of you here tonight who maybe have never surrendered your heart and life to God. You never have. You come to church because it's curious and you want to check it out or you like the band or you like the pizza we're going to have after. <laughs> you come for those type of deals, but, but you've never surrendered your life to God. Well, here's the deal. God has spoken to you before. I know he has. He's drawn you before, but tonight he comes to you a shanae, a second time saying, hey, would you? Would you listen? My way's better than your ways. My, my peace is better than anything you've found. Happiness in me is different than happiness anywhere else. It doesn't fade away. And then there's the rest of us here tonight who have given our life to the Lord. And it's like, yeah, Lord, I'm yours. But you know what we all do? All of us, preachers, musicians, people sitting in the pews, all of us do this. We give our life to God, and then at some point we pull back. And our whole life is this series of giving and pulling back, giving and pulling back. Well, the good news is, is God is so different than us. He's not, you know, burn me once, shame on you, burn me twice, shame on me. He's not like that. Our God is a patient, forgiving, loving God who morning by morning, new mercy 
does he give us? He comes to Jonah a second time, and uh, in chapter 2, I love in the, in the belly of the fish, Jonah says, I will fulfill all my vows, Lord. Now, that's what we all pray when we're in the belly of the fish. God, if you told me to do it, I'll do it. Uh, but, of course, he does. But, but, and maybe that's what some of you need to say today. You know, I made a commitment when I was 10 years old to the Lord. And maybe tonight it's time to say, you know, I'm going to be serious about following the Lord. Or some of you might say, you know, man, when I first got married or we first have kids, we were going to, and then just life happened. Or, you know, maybe it's time for you to say, I, I will do what God has called me to do. Uh, no matter how much we run or how far you think you are from God, the great news for you is God hadn't given up on you. And then the, what I want you to get tonight is no matter how far you run, God still has a purpose for you. I mean, God doesn't say, you messed, it, you messed it up so bad, I don't want to use you. Or you've blown it so bad, you're so far out of bounds, I can't use you. God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. Now, for Jonah, uh, even though he had gone through all of this mess, his plan was exactly the same. If you read chapter 1 and chapter 3, what God asked Jonah to do is exactly the same thing. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes, because of what goes on in your life, his plan might change for you. It just happens sometimes. But God might take the mess you made and turn it into this beautiful plan. What, what Satan meant for harm... God turns into good. You get divorced, and you might not get remarried and lead that how to have a 50-year marriage conference, you know? But you might lead a divorce care. You know, you might really blow it in your work, and maybe you did something unethical, and you got fired, and you might not be able to get that promotion in that company. But... You might be able to teach others about the dangers of listening to that voice that leads us away from God. So, so God brings a second plan to each one. Now let's look at Jonah's, verse 2 of Jonah chapter 3. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I give to you. That, that city of Nineveh, this vicious, vicious nation, uh, the, the worst kings of the time of Nineveh were doing during when God... Uh, called Jonah. But the Bible says that even though he's told to go to this, in verse, the next verse he says, Jonah, or the Bible says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he goes to Nineveh. Now, Jonah's learned his lesson. It doesn't pay to run from God, and so Jonah obeys. Uh, in verse, the next verse it says, oh, well, go back one if you would. Back one verse here. Uh, forward one. There you go. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, and now the now, Nineveh was a very large city. Does anybody, I don't know if you have your Bibles open, you might not, but if you have your Bibles open and you look at this, it says it was this great city. This, it's not great in quality, it was great in size. This was a large city um, for their day. It'd be a large city for our time. They didn't have high-rise buildings, but it took up a lot of space. And there was this enormous, ruthless people, and God says, Okay, Jonah, I want you to go preach the message I'm going to give to them. To you, And then the next verse says, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh's going to die! Now that wins you, friends, and influences people, you know? I went to the Reds game the other night because they were playing the Cardinals. And I went to the Reds game. Sorry, I'm a Cardinal fan. You can't take it out of the boy. I uh, went to the Reds game. Uh, and, and after the game, there was this guy, I don't know if he's there every time, he was out on the corner, he had the two speakers out on the corner, and he was basically saying, you're all going to die! You're all going to die! Y'all have heard that guy, seen that guy? 
Now, I'll be honest. His message was, your sin is going to cause you to die. His message probably wasn't that bad, but the messenger looked like a freak to me. That's all I could think of. You're out of your mind. Well, can you imagine what the people of Nineveh thought when Jonah comes in and says, you're all going to die? I mean, he's like the guy holding the sign in the city, like, judgment is nigh. You know, everybody ignores that. You might think, why in the world did they pay attention? Well, I don't know, but the Bible says they did. Notice the next verse. It says the people of Nineveh believed it was God. They believed that God was talking through Jonah, and from the greatest of the least of these folks, they declared a fast. They said, oh, wait a minute, we've got to change some stuff. They put on burlap to show that they were uh, burlap to show that they were sorrowful, and they believed God. Now, if you're a first-time reader and you were to read this, you would say, "No way, I don't believe it. Do not believe this happened." Uh, this would be like me saying to you that Howard Stern is now in Christian radio and leading sexual purity classes, you know. Or it would be like you know me saying that Bill Maher is a Christian evangelist now. <laughs> You know, or, or it would be like saying Miley Cyrus is singing gospel. You know, that, I mean, it just, that just doesn't jive with us. Everybody in Hollywood got saved, and everybody in Vegas is now living the moral, pure life. You know, you, we would not believe that, but that's what happens here. And the Bible says they fast and they pray. Next verse, uh, the Scripture says, When the king of Nineveh heard that Jonah was saying this, it wasn't just the little peeps here. When the king of Jonah hears this, he steps down from his throne, he takes off his royal robes, and he dressed himself in burlap. And and he sat on this heap of ashes, which was just symbolically saying, Oh my goodness, I am a mess. I'm a wreck. And then it says in the next verse, uh, uh, Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. Not one, not even the animals from your herds or flocks may eat or drink anything at all. Now, that's pretty severe. We're going to fast until God has mercy on us because we're scared to death that God is going to bring this judgment that Jonah has talked about. And he goes on to say in the next verse, he says, people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And I don't know what the sheep look like in those. But anyhow, people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. And then I love verse 9. Listen to what he says. Who can tell? Maybe God will have mercy on us. Maybe God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So they fasted. They, they, this symbol of humility and repentance by putting ashes in sackcloth, uh, they, they showed their desire to hear from God. Now, I think Jonah's shocked at work. I've been there. I did revival last week. I missed being with y'all guys last week. I was in revival in Park City, and there was like 40 people there. You know, and I hate to admit it. I mean, they look like 40 people who had been there for 40 years. You know, and I thought, nothing's going to happen here. Preachers can get there, too. You pour your heart into something, and you tell them, man, this is the way it is. But then you're looking at it and saying, how can this heart of stone be moved? I think that's where Jonah was. And these folks in Nineveh aren't going to believe. They don't, they don't buy this stuff, but I don't want to go back in the belly of the fish, and so I guess, you know, let's, let's preach this stuff. Now, one of the things historians tell us, and I'm not going to bore you with all the details here, but they tell us that God was working behind the scenes to, to kind of get the people ready for this message. 
Uh, there was a solar eclipse about the time that we think Jonah was preaching. You know, and back in those days, they didn't understand what was going on, and God might have used this moment to, as a sign to them, like, hey, you need to get right. And uh, we're also told that within about a five-year period, the Assyrian history tells us that they had these severe plagues, two of them, to where literally half their population is starving. And then taking also into account marauders from the north were easing down that would ultimately topple the Egyptian empire as well, these same people. All these things are working together, and then Jonah shows up with his bleached out skin and seaweed in his hair, I guess, and he says, you need to repent because the Lord's going to get you. And so they listen. And that point to me is this. There's a lot of times God is working behind the scenes to prepare people's hearts. We have a tendency to think that some people are beyond God's reach. You know, they seem cold and distant, and they, they seem so different than us, or you know, their outer appearance is odd, or th- their minds seem to have been closed, or they seem better off than us, or they're rich, or they're too intelligent. And, and I'd just like to remind you, you never know how God might be working on somebody that you think is out of reach. You know, my guess is there was a time that most of you in here weren't interested in God. And people would have looked at you and said they'll never listen. You know, we have to constantly reaffirm nobody is beyond God's salvation. The people at the coffee shop you go to, the people in your school, the professor at your school, your boss, no one is beyond God's ability to save. Nobody's too far gone, nobody's too bad, nobody's without need. God is oftentimes working behind the scenes, nudging people. So Jonah shares, and the king and all the people of Nineveh get saved. And it'd been great if that's the end of the story, wouldn't it? Woo-hoo, hallelujah, you know, this should be it. Jonah obeys, God gives him a second chance. Jonah preaches, the people repent, and they started a church and lived happily ever after. That's how it's supposed to go down. But for some reason, God in his sovereignty doesn't end the story of Jonah this way. Uh, There's a strange twist that God uses, and I'm going to be honest with you, this spotlights my heart. It's like God saying, Nick, you're a lot like this. And my guess is I'm not the only one here. If you're here here tonight and you think that the church is full of hypocrites, I'm going to confirm your suspicions. Okay, we're just going to, you're going to believe, yeah, I'm going to confirm your suspicions tonight. These verses force us to look at something we don't like to look at. You know, it's embarrassing for most of us, and it's a really convicting story because Jonah's in all of us. Let's pick back up, verse 10. We'll walk through this quickly. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind, and he didn't carry out the destruction that he had threatened. But listen to what the next verse says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Jonah? You should be like the headline speaker at the Prophetic Baptist Convention. You know, everybody should be, and the whole city got saved, Jonah. This is good stuff. But Jonah's mad. You know, and we learn why in the next verse. Listen to what he says. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not when I said when I was yet in my own country? I knew it. Knew if I went there. He wasn't worried about his skin. He didn't want the Ninevites to get off the hook. They were bad folks 
they deserved it. We might think that's pretty harsh for a prophet, but let me ask you guys, we can talk mercy and grace to the people who live down the road, but could we talk mercy and grace to the people of ISIS? Ooh. Because that's what Jonah was asked to do. People who were slaughtering children, raping women, skinning men alive, and God said, go and preach. That's a tough one for me. Because I'll be honest, I cheer whenever I hear of a, a strike that kills. Isn't that bad? I, I, I hate those folks. And we're not, I mean, look what they're doing to Christians. Look what they're doing to the holiest of places that people have gone to and loved. Look what they're doing to that country and to the women and to the children and sex slaves. And I can't stand them. And so I cheer when they die. And I know God exacts justice in that way, but here's what I wonder about my heart. Nick, would you cheer if they got saved? That's the question, isn't it? I kind of understand wanting God's judgment to come when they're behaving badly, but what happens if they do what we did and repented? And said, oh God, I'm so sorry. It's tricky, isn't it? Here's where Jonah finds himself. I knew you were going to let him off the hook. I knew you were a gracious God. You were slow to anger. You abound in love and you relent from disaster. I knew this is what was going to happen. And so, I I love verse 5. Let's go to the next verse. Therefore, God, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. It's almost like Jonah's a four-year-old, and he says, I'm going to hold my breath until you do it my way. And then he says in verse 6, and the Lord says, or excuse me, the Lord says, is this okay, Jonah? Is it right for you to be like this? And so Jonah goes out of the city, He sets at the east of the city. He makes a booth for himself. He crosses his arms and he says, You're darn right it's okay for me to be mad. And he sits under a shade to see what's going to become of that city. It's almost like he's holding his breath, waiting until he turns blue, until God gives up and says, You're right, Jonah. I should have killed him. It's kind of what he's waiting on. Verse 6. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So God, Jonah's out there mad, and God gives him a little oasis in this hillside. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withers. So he's back to his booth. And then the Bible says, when the sun came up, God appointed this scorching Sirocco, this this east wind that comes in and just beats on people and just makes them want to die. And Jonah was faint, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. And then the next verse, God is so good with questions. He says, is it all right for you to be angry that the plant's gone? Yeah, I should be angry. I should be angry enough to die. And then verse 10, he says, next verse, And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't make it grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Next verse. He said, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there's more than 120,000 persons? And they don't even know their right hand for their left hand. 
and, and there's a lot of cows there too. Which is kind of a weird way to end the book of Jonah, isn't it? That's not exactly the punchline of a prophetic book, you know. <laughs> there's there's 120,000 people. They can't tell their left from their right. They're all like children. Sure, they're sinners, but they're like children, and they don't even know that they're sinners. Nobody's ever told them, Jonah. And there's animals, Jonah. Hey, there's cows. You know, I, I'll be honest. I don't know why that part, part is there, but I have a hunch. I believe it's a jab at Jonah. You're concerned about nature and this plant withering. Don't you even care about their cows, Jonah? Your attitude about these people is like they're less than cattle. You're concerned that they're not getting what they deserve. And you're concerned that you're not getting what you deserve or think you deserve. And God says, I'm concerned that nobody gets what they deserve. Remember the belly of the fish, Jonah? You're concerned about all the wrong stuff. I invited you to be a partner with me. And you're so confused that you missed it because you have concerns that are different than mine. And here's the punchline of the night. We are too often concerned about our own stuff and not concerned enough about God's. Guys, there's a lot of that in me. Last night, I was watching Florida beat Kentucky for the 473rd straight time. And my kids didn't understand football. My, one of my daughters doesn't understand football hardly at all. One kind of gets it, and I'd taken them to the football game because I wanted them to be there when we broke the streak. <laughs> Craziness, I know. And I was mad. I was so mad at one point that my daughter says, Dad, what's going on here? And I said, hush, not right now. Can't you see that in the story of Jonah? You know, and you know, if you're a Louisville fan or a Cincinnati fan or a Kentucky fan or a Puke fan or whoever you are, you know, if you're one of those fans, you know when the ball game's on on TV and your kids are. You ever acted like an idiot over a ball game? I mean, I, yeah, your spouse is shaking their head. <laughs> Uh, sometimes when I, I use it, it's not as bad as it used to be, but used to I'd play golf and then there'd be a group up there and they'd be terrible. And I wasn't as terrible as they are. <laughs> and I'd want to go through. And they wouldn't let me go through and all of a sudden I'd feel my temperature rising over a golf game. Or, you know, you... You're driving down the road and somebody else is not in a hurry, but you are. Have you ever noticed that an idiot is somebody who's driving fast behind you and a moron, somebody who's driving slow in front of you? That's the definition, by the way. Look that up, you know. Uh, you know, I, I know I'm generally concerned about people. In the general, I want people to be saved since. But in the day-to-day -day events, suddenly what's most concerning to God is overshadowed by what's most concerning to me. You know, think about people we overlook when we're worried about our moment. Do my kids know that I love them more than ball when I do that? Does that group that I'm giving evil stares to who hadn't let me go through know that I'm a 
follower of Christ and I love people more than I love my own comfort. It's the person I'm laying on the horn to and, you know, tell them, you know, get out of my way, you moron. Get off my bumper, you idiot. When they see me mouthing words, do they really know that I think the God of the universe loves them? See, maturity is when God's primary concern becomes our primary concern. Jonah, you're concerned about all the wrong stuff. And at times, God must look at my life and say, Nick, you're concerned about all the wrong stuff. I wonder tonight, what thing gets in the way of you being concerned about where people are going to spend eternity? Which of your good and valid concerns get in the way of you expressing concern for others? Your schedule? Your golf game? Your habit? Your hobby? You see, the things that we allow to consume our concern are so temporary. But guys, we all live forever somewhere. And not just us the idiot and the moron lives forever somewhere the other team lives forever somewhere the foursome in front of us live forever somewhere your jerk of a boss is going to live forever somewhere it's back for all of us and those of us who really believe that God is a merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in great love. And shouldn't we can be concerned about that? So, it's heart check time. Do we have a big heart? That's never determined on Sundays. Nah, wait, that's overstatement. That's not always determined on Sundays. It's usually determined during your week and how much you love. Jesus didn't say they would know you're my disciples by how many times you show up at church. But he did say they'd know you're my disciples by how much you love other people. So my prayer is that unlike Jonah, we would be people who really love others. Maybe you're here tonight. And uh, you just need to confess. You're welcome to come to the altar and pray and, and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. And maybe you're here tonight and you've never started that relationship with God. God's coming to you a second time tonight. And he's saying, now's the time. We're going to take communion. We'll give our offering. If you'd like to talk to somebody, I'll be standing up here singing on the front row. And you feel free to interrupt me. I'd love to talk to you if you need to talk to somebody and pray. We're going to stand right now and sing. If God speaks to you, I encourage you to come. This next song that we're going to do is a song that is written from the perspective of Jesus to us. And I uh, first heard this song when I was in high school, so it's a little bit older. Um, but when I first heard this song, it put God's love in some more human terms for me. Um, so as we, uh, we kind of contemplate where we're at with Jesus and where Jesus is at with us, 
Um, I want to sing this song. You guys can sing it if you want, but don't feel like you have to. He loves us, oh. 
Oh. 